We're going to read from Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you would stand in honor of the Word of God and the God who has given us this Word. And as, we, as I read, I want you to be reminded this is the very Word of God in print. When you hear this Word, you are hearing God speak to you. Not because of my voice, but because of these words. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing That he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always in good courage. We know that, we, that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And with that, we end the reading of God's word. Let he who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And you may be seated. Lord's Day 22. What comfort do you receive for the resurrection of the body? And the answer is that not only my soul after this life shall be immediately taken up to Christ its head, but also that this my body raised by the power of Christ shall be reunited with my soul and made like the glorious body of Christ. Uh, 
Question 58, what comfort do you receive from the article Everlife Everlasting? Answer that is inasmuch as I now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess complete blessedness, such as eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man, therein to praise God forever. This section is the last of the Apostles' Creed that the Catechism deals with. It is again in the section that deals with the Holy Spirit. And therefore, the Holy Spirit is prominent behind it, even though in many times you never see it. It's, it's sometimes the Holy Spirit is in disguise. For instance, in the passage I read, it says our bodies will be raised by the power of Christ. Well, what is the power of Christ? The power of Christ is the Holy Spirit. You remember in his own ministry, he did not really begin to minister until he was baptized and the Holy Spirit was released upon him in power to be able to do his work. It is the Holy Spirit who's the one who produces what the, the, the Christ purchased and the, the Father planned. And so when you see what is happening and things that are happening, all that's behind it is the Holy Spirit. And this is why it's included in this section and is not something. It's also given for our encouragement and our comfort. Remember, the catechism begins, what's your only comfort in life and death? My only comfort in life and death is that I belong body and soul to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And everywhere through the confession, it's not necessarily focusing upon pure theology, but the effects of pure theology, of good theology. What comfort do you get? What encouragement do you get from this doctrine and from this teaching? Also, we are dealing with a transition here, a transition we all face. Uh, Michael Horton, I was reading Michael Horton this week, and he mentioned this. Right now, we are in the kingdom of grace. That is, everything around us comes from the grace of God. It's the grace of God that's active, not only to bring himself to us or to send his son and all that takes place, but every moment, every second, every breath comes because of the graciousness of God to us. To us who are believers, that's good news. To those who are unbelievers, it's bad news because that means they have been working against the grace of God that is being expressed to them. We understand we're working for it. The kingdom of grace now becomes or will become the kingdom of glory. It's not that grace is supplanted by glory, but it moves from being the grace being exercised to us now without glory into the time when Christ comes back. It will be a kingdom of glory, which we're going to see as we look through this, uh, this section, Lord's Day 22. That's, what's, that's what we're going to take a look at. And we're going to take a look at it in four mysteries that occur. Now, I use the word mystery 
Not sometimes, as we think about it, the word mystery meaning I have no idea what he's talking about. I mean, sometimes things I say are just mysterious. They're going, what in the world is this guy saying? Or what in the world is this guy trying to say? Now, a mystery is that you know a little, but you don't know all. And this movement from the kingdom of grace to the kingdom of glory is filled with mystery. We get but a infinitesimal part of what it's going to be like. We can imagine a little bit more of what it's like. But we will not know in the fullness of what it is until it happens. We can think about what is death. We can think about what it is to, to, of heaven, of what it is to be in heaven, what it is to be before Christ. And we can know a little bit about it. But boy, we won't know it until it happens. It's kind of like I told our kids when they were learning how to drive. You've been watching Dad drive for all these years, at least 16 years. And you think you know what it is, right? You wait until you get behind the wheel. It's a mystery. And all of a sudden, you have to learn that there are people who have no idea what that little stick on the left-hand side of the column is all about left and right. They just don't use it. They figure, that's an accessory. I don't need it. This is what life is like. In fact, all of life, everything we go through now is in sense of mystery. We have some idea, but it will not blossom until we die and until Christ comes back. So we're going to take the four mysteries that the, uh, the creed talks about. Number one, what occurs at death and in the intermediate state? That's the first mystery. The issue of death, well, is, our culture likes to cover it over. It used to be you died at home and the family watched you. Now you go to a hospital or hospice and you don't have to be there. Or they pump you with drugs so that you do not feel the effect of the body giving up and uh, moving toward death. We, we have euphemisms. Oh, they simply fell asleep. No, they didn't just fall asleep. I know what it's like to fall asleep. And that's different than death. Or we try to make the body look so good. You know, it's the person who comes up to the coffin and looks at Uncle Charlie and says, doesn't he look good? No, he doesn't look good. He's dead. And we try to comfort people that way because we want to cover it over. Death is the last enemy, and it is an enemy, and we fear it. We fear sometimes how we're going to die, and we fear sometimes when we're going to die. But what death is, it's a wrenching apart of the soul and the body. So the two that are united are brought apart. That's a biblical Hebrew idea. It comes from Genesis. God took the dust and he formed a man. And then he breathed into him the breath of life. And the man became a nephesh, which is the Hebrew for living soul. 
The soul is body and spirit. Because the word for, whoop, cross the T. The word for spirit is a word for breath. God pours the spirit into them. He becomes a soul, a living soul, body and spirit. And what happens to death? The two are separated. It's far different from where our culture is and for the culture in which Jesus lived and which Paul preached. They had the Platonists who said, well, the spirit is immortal. It just happens to be captured in a body and when the body dies, the spirit is finally free to be all that it was meant to be. Or the Stoic who says, well, the spirit is divine, caught in a body. And when the body dies, the spirit of divine continues on. You don't have to worry about the body at all. You can do anything. So a Stoic is one who is a stiff upper lip, doesn't care what happens because they know the soul is going to continue on no matter what. Kind of a play on Christian theology, but it's less than. And then you have the Epicurean that says when you die, everything goes. Body, soul, gone. So what do you do? You eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you may die. You, you know, grab the gusto. Take everything you have and put it into life today because you don't know about tomorrow. That sounds like our culture. The Epicurean is a new atheist. Yeah, this is it. This is all we got. Better use it well. The... Uh, Platonic, or excuse me, the Stoic sounds like New Agers. Mm, take care of the soul, take care of the soul, forget about the body. That's not important. Far different from the biblical view that the two are put together. And death is the enemy because it tears them apart. And you no longer are a full person. Why? Because the soul or the spirit is missing the body. We have a term for it we call it psychosomatic. Psycho having to do with spirit, somatic doing with body. The body can control the spirit. I mean, hit your thumb with a hammer, and I'll show you what your spirit does. Yeah! It's almost involuntary, right? Misuse the things of God or misuse your mind and your will and it has effect upon the body. We sometimes say that it is the 32 ounces soda that you can buy at McDonald's that causes you to blossom out. No. It's because you're not thinking about what 32 ounces of soda does to you again and again and again and again and again. And you like it so much, you don't care what it does. You just want those 32 ounces. Or you want that coffee in the morning. You got to have that coffee. See, that's psychosomatic. In biblical terms, those two have to work together. And when they're separated something drastic happens to us. What we do know is that when we die, the soul is taken up to be with Jesus.
Luke 23 is where Jesus is on the cross and one of the thieves confesses faith in Christ and Jesus looks at him and says, today, I say, and truly I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. Some try to change that by the comma. Truly, truly I say unto you, comma is the original. It's truly, truly I say to you today, comma, you will be with me. So who knows when he's going to be. Now, the comma goes after I say to you, because he says, when I die, you die, we'll be together. Paul puts it the same way when he talks about for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Philippians 1, why is it gain? Because he is going to be with Christ. It is, he says, it is far better that that should happen, but it's far more necessary that I stick around and be with you, Philippians. And in the passage I read, verses 6 to 8, Paul says, We are always of good courage. We know that while we are at the home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Well, this break then leads to the intermediate stage. What happens to the soul? What happens to the spirit when you die? Well, I can tell you what it not is. It's not soul sleep, as even some good Christians will say. That is, when you die, your soul goes into suspended animation. We can put it that way. And it's that way until Christ comes back. You ever have a good night's sleep? Did you have a good night's sleep last night? No, I can see right now. It was, just, it was not one of the better night's sleep. If you ever had a good night's sleep, where you put your head on the pillow and you're out like that, and the next thing you know, the alarm's going out. Or the cat has to go out. Or the dog has to go out. And you wake up and you go, whoa. You had no dreams. It was so solid. Eight hours went by and you have nothing. That's what soul sleep is. That's what they say. But that's not biblical. Or some would say, you go to purgatory. That is, you have to suffer out for your sins until you have suffered enough to pay for all your sins. Or what started, helped to start the Reformation, you have someone who buys an indulgence. When the coin in the pot does cling, a soul from purgatory springs. That was a little ditty. That was another bumper sticker they had on their carts. There you have the whole idea. When you die, you suffer and you suffer and you suffer, whether it's 10,000 years or 1,000, 100,000, whatever it takes to pay for your sins. And then you are declared righteous before God. Well, you, you can know why Martin Luther was aghast at that. He said, you're not made right by God by what you do. It's be what he does for you. Christ died for you. Christ lives for you. Christ uh, rose for you. It is all because of Christ, not because of anything you do. You are justified. You're made right by God by believing that what Christ did for you, did in his life, death, and resurrection, he did it for you. 
And then God applies to you the righteousness of Christ and the penalty that he paid. And you are declared not guilty by God. You are justified. It's a position. It's not a practice, but it is a way in which you are. And so Luther nailed his 95 thesis because he said, that's not right. It's not good. And he reprimanded his parishioners who put the coin in the pot. And he told them it didn't do a thing. It makes no difference to those who have died. Because that's not what salvation is all about. It's not what you do. Not one iota. So it's not purgatory. What it is, it is the, a, a state of consciousness and continuous being in which we experience the immediate glorification of the soul. The soul is made perfect. The mind. You know, we, we talk about how we only use maybe 5 to 10% of our brain. Well, there's going to come a time, not the physical brain, but our thinking. We will have full use of it. Our will will be perfectly aligned with the will of God. Our emotions will be perfectly aligned with God. All that we are in our soul will be perfectly aligned with the will of God. We will be made perfect and we will be waiting for our completion because our completion only comes when this is eliminated and these two are united. They're put together. So that brings us to mystery number two. What will it be like with a new body? 2 Corinthians four thirteen to 14. Paul, Paul says this, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. The question when you look at that is, what's that pronoun he referred to? See, because there's no... Precedence before it. There's nothing before it that tells you what the he means. However, it talks about the power of Jesus. And again, I would remind you, more often than not, in the scriptures, when it talks about the power of God or the power of Jesus, it is talking about the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who produces, He has the power to make it work. Father plans, Son purchases. Spirit produces. And so it is the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that raises us to the dead. And he does it bodily. There is the new thing. What, what occurs when we are raised? Well, Paul said it in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 where he talks about in verses 35 to 39 Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. Never, Paul obviously never took Dale Carnegie. How to win friends and influence people. You foolish person. You 
paraphrase. You idiot. <laughs> what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. And then he goes on and talks about the variety. A body that God has chosen. Some of us are corn. Some of us are soybeans. Some of us are apple seeds. Some of us are, you, you name the plant. Some of you are pagonias. Some of you are roses. Well, maybe not too many. <laughs> what God does, he gives it a body he desires. That's part of the mystery. See, he doesn't explain what that body's going to be like and what's it going to look like. How's it going to be? But it does say he's going to take that mangled or disintegrated or burnt body, sometimes put into a coffin and into a grave, sometimes in an urn and spread over ground or sea or somewhere, sometimes lost like at the bottom of the Atlantic where the Titanic sank. Sometimes so mangled that you can't even recognize him, the tomb of the unknown soldier. But God has the power to take that mangled, dismembered body and put it together in the body that he wants it to be. And I think part of the mystery is we're going to find that new body that he gives to us and we'll go, wow, I didn't expect that. I mean, I might even look like Robert Redford. Yeah, that won't happen. <laughs> he is able to do it. And the Holy Spirit is the one who gives you that kind of new body. That's what happens at the resurrection. What third mystery? What will the spiritual body be like? Chapter 4, 16 to 18 of uh, 2 Corinthians We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. Take a look at your hand. Come on, take a look at your hand. You, you can move. It's transient. Someday it's going to be gone. What is important is the things that are see, unseen. Not only your soul, but the new body that will be given to you. And he calls all of the troubles he went through, being shipwrecked, being beaten, being imprisoned, being yelled at, being escorted out of town, Riots that happened because of his preaching the gospel. All those things. He calls them moment, light, momentary afflictions. Because in comparison to the glory that is to come, they are almost nothing. Luther would write, let, kin, let uh, kins and kindred go. Let goods and kindreds go. This mortal life also 
the body they may kill, his word continues still. And that was his way of saying to his people as the scripture does, everything you go through is not worth anything in comparison to the glory that is to come. John Huss, early reformer, gets convicted of doing a horrible thing, translating the scriptures into the common language. And he's put before the tribunal, and they say, you can't do that. It has to be in Latin so that nobody can read it. You can't do that. And he says, we convict you, you excommunicate, and we will kill you. So they tie him to a pole, and they put the faggots of wood around there, and he lights the fire. And Huss is being burnt to death. And he takes his hand and he puts it out. Burn this hand that wrote. Because he knows that momentary affliction is not worth the glory that is to be his on that day. In the Middle East, brothers and sisters of ours are having their heads cut off because they believe in Christ. You imagine Maybe you don't want to imagine right now what it's like to see that sword coming for your neck and feel the blade come in and all you have to do is say, I recant, I, 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 I deny my Lord and, and you'll be good. Or you come over to being a Muslim and you don't. And the pain that you feel at that moment is but a moment a very light affliction very small time compared to the glory that is to be yours the reformation of which we are great 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 grandchildren came at the cost of individuals lives because they knew that there was something better that was yet to come and death would be the separation, but they'd go into the very presence of God and they would enjoy the completeness of their soul and the resurrection would come where the body and the soul are put together and it will be more glorious than that they ever possibly could know. That's what it takes. You know, sometimes a person looks at us wrong when we're trying to gossip trying to share the gospel and we kind of will to go, oh, I'm being persecuted. No, no, you're not being persecuted. You're facing what everybody faces who tries to tell the truth to somebody else. And it's never to that extent to which you've been tied to a pole and burned alive. And if they do it, we too ought to be people who stand and do it. That's what will happen. The unseen will become seen and there'll be complete glorification. I'm not going to get through this today. Not unless we go all the way to about 1045. Do I have time to go to 1045? No, I don't have time. Shucks. <laughs> so I'll tell you what. I'll do what I love to do because we got about seven minutes. I've, I've loaded a whole bunch on you about this kind of stuff. Maybe you haven't thought about it. You have questions. I'm not promising an answer. 
I just want to know your questions. Always the first person to ask a question is the icebreaker. And that's the most difficult part. I knew John would have a question. <laughs> why? Where did, yeah, why, why did Joseph demand that his bones be taken out of Egypt? What was Egypt? It was a foreign country. Where did he want his bones taken? The land promised to Abraham. The promised land to which they are going. It was symbolic, I think is symbolic, of what he knew would happen. He would die, he would go, his body should be in a place that symbolizes God's presence, the promised land. And so it's, it's speaking to us, 400, 430 years, 400 years later, yep, get my bones up there. Can, can you imagine being the guy who has to help carry the, sophoc- so, so, the funeral, the, cur- the coffin. <laughs> See, I talk for a living too. And, you know, what, what would it be like after 400 some years in there? It's dust. It was a lot lighter than it was when he went in. But he wanted to have that symbolic picture of I'm going to my promised land. Death is going to our promised land. Does that answer? Okay. Good. Thank you. (laughs) Come next week. We'll talk about it. And I'll tell you, it's number three mystery. We have a little tiny idea. Most of it, you've got to experience it. We'll, we'll, we won't know fully, but we have some idea. By the way, this is not coffee. This is water. This is Grandpa's sippy cup, because when you get to a certain age, you revert to being a child. So, no, we will have a body that is fit Fit for our new situation and will be fit for the fullness of the Spirit. That's one of the things we'll talk about next week. This body is not fit to be either in the presence of God, because you notice every time in the Scripture when someone comes in the presence of God, they don't sit there and go, Hallelujah! Yes! Good buddy! They kneel or they fall down before God, absolutely frozen. This body will be one that is able to, to stand the holiness of God and will also take the fullness of the Spirit. The Spirit, we, we, Paul talks about be filled with the Spirit. Be being filled with the Spirit. And he says we have to do this consistently because we leak and we grieve the Spirit and he leaves and has to be refilled. There'll come a time when the Spirit takes up residence in the fullness that we can accept and we will have it.
Let's see. The commandment is you shall not lie. Right? One of the, one of the big ten. The reason that is not only for our own good, but it shows the character of God. God cannot lie. If God promises in his word, which is his written revelation, infallible, inerrant, uh, true, if he promises that we will have a body and we pr he promises something, it will come true. There is no doubt about it. You, you can put all the money you have in the bank, a buck fifty on it, and it will come true. We believe the promises of God. How are we saved? We are believe the promise of God. That if you believe in my son, you shall be saved. That's a promise. We believe it. We are rescued. Okay? Short answer. Come next week, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll bring it out. And if we don't, ask the question again. Did I see a hand? I saw a hand. This hand. Excuse me? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me see. Well, let me give you the 30-second answer. That'll probably take two minutes. Uh, what's the difference? Why the Greek and why the Hebrew difference? One is Revelation. The Greeks were going under general revelation. They knew they were alive. They knew that there was an immaterial part of them and a material part of them. And they defined it as the mind, the will, the emotions. That's the soul. Or we might better yet say that's the spirit of an individual. And it, only because of the Hebrew understanding. And so they tried to figure out, well, I got this immaterial. It's in the material. The material dies because they watch their friends and neighbors and family die. What happens to the immaterial? Plato would say, it's eternal. It's always existed. It's, in a sense, its own God. And therefore, the body dies. It continues on. And some would take that and say, yeah, it continues on, but it finds another body. Reincarnation, that's a basis of it. The Stoic would say, it's divine, it cannot die, but the body will. It's not immortal, it just will not die. The Epicurean said, they all die. Everything dies. It's all gone. The great nihilist of his time says, there's nothing after death. Haven't you heard that in our culture? There's nothing, and there's hopelessness because there's nothing. Why do I do all these things to do when I'm going to die and there'll be nothing left except the memory? Memories last about two or three generations. Maybe if you have good pictures, they'll last a little longer. But memories don't last that long. That's, and, you know, that's the hopeless state of some people. Scripture, the, the Hebrew comes from the scriptures. The creation of man. That's why Genesis 1 and 2 is so important. This is how God created man. Two parts. Infinitely, uh, into, in, to, 
very closely put together. In fact, they are one unit. You cannot separate them. As I said, psychosomatic. You cannot separate uh, the, the, the soul from the, from the, the body. They, they work so close together. And modern medicine is beginning to understand that or has begun to understand it. You have to deal with the emotions as much as you deal with a hangnail because the two of them go together. And so that's it's the difference between general revelation where you have a view of what's going on, but it's not real clear. Therefore, you make up what you think. And special revelation where it's very clear what it is. Okay, that's the difference. Did I answer your question, Edwin? Okay, thank you. <laughs> well, our time has flown. And so must I. Goodbye. Good night. <laughs> I just feel quirky today. Um, next week, we'll take up the next two mysteries. So you can look over those scriptures during the week and what I wrote there. And if you want to, you can edit. I'm not a very good editor of my own material. And as you've noticed, the sleep soul becomes the soul sleep, as it ought to be. Okay. Let's close with a word of prayer. Well, Father, again, we are so thankful for your special revelation, your Bible, the promises you've given to us, the descriptions of who we are and of what we will become. We thank you that we need not fear death because to die is gain. It is to be with Christ, even though we are separated from the body that we will live in that consciousness and continuation of who we are, but in the holiness and of the purity which you have redeemed us. And that, Father, one day, when you, you send your Son back, we will be reunited with our body, a body that you have chosen for us. And in choosing for us, it's just right. It's perfect. It's exactly what we need. Let us live in that hope as we go through not only this week, but the life, to, the life to come, so that we may ever glorify and rejoice in you. For I ask it in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen.